Section 16 of Fires and Firefighters by John Kenlon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 15 Fire Control in Schools, Factories, and Hospitals. Since it is no exaggeration to define panic as one of the most effective allies of fire, it is obvious that in dealing with buildings occupied by large numbers of either young or infirm people, or with places where passing crowds are apt to congregate, such as department stores, peculiar precautions are necessary. The genesis of many a conflagration attended afterwards with terrible loss of life is often trivial. Taken in time, and dealt with coolly, it would never have developed into a serious outbreak. And equally, the magnitude of the blaze as regards actual fire damage can never be accurately gauged by the death roll. Experience has shown that in such disasters, as many die from suffocation consequent upon crushing, or from injuries received in seeking safety through some desperate and ill-judged action such as jumping into the streets, as perish in the flames. Of course, this is natural. A curl of smoke, a few sparks, and a cry of fire. And unless beforehand prepared for this kind of emergency, the primal impulse of any one is to reach safety, or what appears safety, as quickly as possible. No thought is given as to the best mode of exit. Misguided instinct suggests the way by which one has entered and instantly corridors, stairways, and passages become jammed with a frightened, hustling crowd, beyond control, and following each other like sheep to the shambles. It is this incontrovertible fact which has caused the architect to labor towards the design of panic-proof structures, and has led those interested in fire control to devise means which shall render such occurrences rare to the point of non-existence. And it must be remembered that, unfortunately, responsible authorities are called upon to frame regulations, oftentimes not for application in modern fire-resisting buildings, but for structures composed largely of lath and stucco, and which, given the opportunity, would burn like tinder-boxes. Hence it seems scarcely necessary to emphasize the point that with the latter the danger is more acute, and above all else there is need for speed and sang-froid. Now the only method by which this state of affairs can be assured is by a process of accustoming the human unit to the conditions likely to arise in a fire emergency, and this can best be done by means of drill. Whether it be employees in a factory, children in a school, or the staff of a hospital or a department store, exit drills should always be enforced. And where circumstances allow, provision should be made for some sort of house firefighting force. It must be understood, of course, that the latter in no way takes the place of the regular fire department, which should be communicated with at once in all cases, but rather is intended to act as an auxiliary pending their arrival. It will be convenient to deal, seriatim, with the four types mentioned. In factory buildings, particular danger attaches to the stairways connecting stories. They can only accommodate a limited number of people, 
and form dangerous exits for crowds congestion at their corners means death and since employees may be expected to vary in nationality misunderstanding of orders becomes more probable and the problem of preventing a panic assumes a thorny aspect in the first place exit drills should be held as often as possible and should include everyone in the building when two or three firms occupy the same premises there should be cooperation and the alarms announcing these drills should be given from different floors in order that practice may be afforded in changing the order of precedence for possession of stairways and fire escapes the line of march may be so arranged as to take advantage of the additional time required in the descent of those from the upper floors by dismissing such of the lower floors as would not delay their egress an exception to this rule should be made where buildings are divided by firewalls with protected openings which permit the transfer of occupants in the fire section to the corresponding fire-free section on the same floor in the building or where provision is made for a safe retreat by means of gangways leading to adjoining buildings incidentally an excellent scheme where feasible is to dismiss the employees nightly by a fire signal in assigning stations the first consideration is the selection of aisle guards whose business it is to effect line formation prevent pushing and overcrowding and to see that the time-honored precept women and children first is observed all subsequent movements should be regulated by a gong or whistle thus the first alarm indicating the floor of the outbreak should consist of a number of taps indicating the floor as soon as the first stroke sounds work should cease and if possible all power be shut off the machines then all stock chairs or benches blocking the aisles should be removed by the employees nearest and placed either above or below the work tables the next movement is to march to the exit passage in single or double file if in the latter couples should link arms for mutual support the women using their free hand to raise their skirts to prevent themselves and those behind them from tripping and each file should move forward observing a uniform distance between the couples the signal to start should be given by the room captain and under no circumstances should any employee be permitted to attempt to secure clothing from a locker or cloakroom upon reaching the street the line should be led away to a safe distance from the building and for this duty one of the supervisors should be selected and drilled as a guide elevator attendants should take their cars upon the first sound of a building alarm to the floor indicated and hold themselves subject to the orders of the floor chief in high buildings of the fire resistive type the operator should run his elevator into the fire zone receive passengers and if conditions favor discharge them a few floors below the usual difficulty however is that floors and stairways are so crowded that he has no option but to run to the ground floor the assignment of exits necessarily depends upon their number capacity and location but it is important that all means of egress should be based on approximate estimates of their relative discharging capacities which can be readily arrived at by actual tests 
When possible, provision should be made for the unhampered entrance of firemen, and in the planning of such fire drills, combinations of exits should be studied. Employees having the welfare of their workpeople at heart can always obtain advice, if in any doubt on this subject, from officials of the fire department. All that is intended here is to suggest certain simple rules of conduct which will tend to prevent confusion and make for safety. The location of stairways, fire escapes, and other exits should be indicated by illuminated signs, and for the information of employees, leaflets should be printed in several languages, giving the details of the fire drill. It goes without saying that all modern buildings of this type should be equipped with an electrically operated alarm system, the mechanical gong of which could be better heard above the noise of any machinery than one struck by the room captain, and would possess the additional advantage of automatically operating on all floors from any position. The box stations governing these alarms should be accessible only to responsible persons. It may be urged that such precautions presuppose certain members of the staff being possessed of intelligence and a considerable amount of organizing ability. But as a rule, either foremen or forewomen in sectional charge of fifty employees will be found to fill admirably such executive positions as room captains. They, in their turn, are naturally subordinate to the manager, who should accept supreme control and the responsibility attaching thereto. Aisle guards may be compared to lieutenants. They should be strong and alert, and owing to the fact that they may be required to use some physical force, should, when possible, be men. They should be especially watchful for persons stumbling, fainting, or becoming hysterical. Where stair exits have sharp bends, they should be stationed there to prevent congestion, and above all they should be made to realize their obligations, and to feel that their duties are no mere sinecure. Finally, there should be at least one male and one female searcher on each floor, to visit the toilet rooms and other such places where perhaps the fire signal could not be heard. In buildings of an antiquated type, these precautions make no pretense of securing absolute safety to the individual, but if the drills be arranged with the advice of a skilled fire official, it is probable that panic will not unreasonably seize all inmates, and that the fire department will at least be given an opportunity of effecting such rescues as human ingenuity and providence will allow. At any rate, they will not be met with the appalling conditions, which, alas, have been only too common hitherto, when persons have found death needlessly while safety awaited them with the advent of the professional firefighters. The fire risk is real enough, without the additional factors of fright and bad management, and it is to guard against these that the above has been suggested. One of the most terrible conflagrations of this nature in recent years was that which occurred on Saturday, March 25, 1911, in the Ash Building, a ten-story structure situated at the corner of Washington Place and Green Street, New York City. The following account, vivid in its simple realism, is taken from the report of the New York Board of Fire Underwriters. Occupancy 8th, ninth, and 10th floors. 
workrooms, showroom and factory, stockroom, pressing and shipping department of the Triangle Waste Company. On the ninth floor there were two wooden partitions, one forming the cloakroom, the other being at the north side enclosing the entrance to the freight elevators and stair shaft. On the tenth floor there were partitions of wood and glass forming offices and showrooms. On the rear of the building in the court was an iron fire escape, the steps being seventeen and a half inches wide. The fire escape did not extend to the bottom of the court, and the court had no exit to the street. On the eighth floor were five unbroken rows of four-foot tables, each containing a double row of sewing machines and shirtwaists in process of manufacture. These tables extended from the Washington Place front south wall to within eighteen feet of the north side of the building. This latter space was partially filled with stock, principally on tables, an aisle space was also left running east and west along the north side. The space along the east wall contained the cutting tables. Approximately 275 operators were on this floor. On the ninth floor there were eight unbroken rows of four-foot tables with 300 operators. There were no aisles running east and west at the south side of these floors, the sewing-machine tables extending close up to the wall. The space between the tables was approximately four feet wide, and contained two rows of chairs back to back. It also contained baskets and other receptacles for the goods in process of manufacture. The only convenient way for the operators next to the south wall to reach the stairs and elevators at the southwest corner was to walk the entire length of the crowded space between the tables to the north side, and then use the aisles which extended along the north and west sides of the building. The fire started at 4.42 p.m. on the eighth floor in the vicinity of the northeast corner of the building, almost simultaneously with the signal to stop work for the day. It is generally believed to have originated from a match or cigarette igniting scrap material on the floor in the vicinity of the cutting tables. It spread rapidly, however, due to a large quantity of inflammable material, consisting chiefly of thin cotton, lace, and other trimmings. In a very short time the fire had spread over the entire floor and communicated principally out and in the windows to the floors above. In addition to the windows, the fire may have communicated from floor to floor by way of the stairs and elevator shafts, as the doors were undoubtedly open, in part at least. The plant was working overtime when the fire occurred. According to the information obtainable, the operators crowded in among the machines, chairs, and goods on the eighth and ninth floors were badly panic-stricken immediately after the start of the fire and in consequence made slow progress towards the exits. Considerable delay is said to have been experienced in opening the doors leading to the stairs at the southwest corner of the building, as they opened inwards and the women became jammed against them. Practically the entire loss of life was confined to those employed on the ninth floor. More than half of the number said to have been on this floor escaped, 
it seems apparent however that by the time this number had got out the elevators had stopped running and the flames around the two inside stairways and the outside fire escape both on this floor and those adjoining would not permit any further egress in these directions the result was that all who remained on the floor until this condition prevailed were overcome by the smoke and fire or jumped from the windows it is said that a few probably twenty from the upper floors descended by way of the outside fire escape these re-entered one of the lower stories and passed down the stairways approximately twenty-five bodies were found closely jammed in the cloakroom next to the stair shaft at the west end of the building about fifty were found near the northeast corner behind the partition and clothes locker located thirty inches from the north end of the two tables nearest the east wall twenty bodies were found near the machines where they worked apparently having been overcome before they could extricate themselves about ten are said to have been taken from the bottom of the court on the north the balance of those killed approximately forty jumped from the windows to the street there seems to be no doubt that had a fire drill been organized amongst these women so great a panic would have been avoided but in the opinion of the writer automatic sprinklers would in all probability have averted the disaster as their operation would have turned in an immediate alarm and the delay in sending in an alarm contributed greatly to the appalling loss of life it must however be remarked that the fire escape in the rear of this building was quite inadequate for the needs of the situation as in order to gain the street it will be noticed those using it were obliged to re-enter one of the lower stories and pass thence down the main stairway to the front door in addition doors should never be constructed to open inwards turning now to the problem of schools in its essentials this is in many ways akin to that of factories with the outstanding difference that in dealing with children even greater care must be exercised by the supervisors or room captains these should be chosen from amongst the teachers and their duties with regard to their charges should be along precisely similar lines to those already laid down though it should be borne in mind that personal influence here plays a greater part where pianos or other instruments are available an excellent plan is the use of marching music to assist in steadying the lines of scholars after the fire alarm incidentally school should always be dismissed once a day in accordance with the practices of fire drill in the matter of exits preference should be given to the classes with smaller children and it is particularly urged that exits for infants should be smoke-proof and of sufficient width to accommodate double lines of two children each further as far as the construction of the building will allow the convergence of two columns in narrow halls or stairways should be particularly avoided this is only too liable to cause confusion which in the event of the building being a quick burner may result in terrible loss of life in schools of advanced grades where there are boys of a certain age it is a good system to organize a small firefighting force to use the chemical extinguishers common to all public institutions and from the nature of the duty youngsters are likely to become enthusiastic over and expert in their management 
since example is proverbially better than precept the following accounts of two school fires widely differing in ultimate results but having many points in common may not be without interest to the general reader in collinwood a suburb of cleveland ohio there stood on the fourth of march nineteen o eight a large school accommodating over eight hundred children the day was a warm one and there was but a small fire in the furnace which was situated under the front stairs before the noon recess the janitor in charge noticed a thin stream of smoke coming from the basement and at once gave the alarm on the ground floor the children were marched out quietly calm in the belief that the signal was for a drill but before the anxious teachers on the next two floors could marshal their charges the fire had gained such ground that all escape by the front door was impossible as the children neared this exit they were driven back by the smoke which confronted them and fought to reascend the stairs only to be pushed down into the flames by the excited and frightened little mob still descending in the drills used both teachers and children had been accustomed to employ only the front door as a means of egress and the fact that this means was debarred to them seems to have had a paralyzing effect upon all intelligence and action by the time the second stairway leading to a door in the rear was thought of the children were entirely out of hand and when this door was found to be locked the situation became uncontrollable parents brought to the scene by the sight of the smoke and the shrieks of the children in distress stood helpless as did the firemen in this suburb the only force available was that of volunteers whose apparatus was inadequate having no ladders long enough to reach the third floor and who were unable to obtain sufficient water pressure to extinguish the fire in the second story one desperate mother aided by an unknown man tried vainly to open the rear door behind which muffled sobs and groans told of the extremity of the little ones within but her efforts were fruitless and with her bare hands she succeeded in breaking some panes of glass in adjacent windows and managed by this means to drag to safety a few semi-conscious tots none of the children fighting and struggling for life behind this pitiless barrier was more than fourteen years of age and many were only six or seven at the front door the weight of human bodies became so great that it collapsed and showed to the agonized spectators many of them parents a heap of little forms caressed by the flames and half hidden by the smoke amongst this pile was one small girl of ten whose father arrived in time to make a futile attempt to pull her from the death awaiting her still alive but crushed and horribly burnt she was able to hold out her feeble arms to him and he heedless of the peril of his own position and intent only on the saving of his daughter worked frantically until his own injuries prevented further effort another child was recognized by her mother their hands met when a piece of broken glass fell on the mother's wrist practically severing it from the arm as the grip of the two hands relaxed the daughter fell back into the blazing pyre to be seen no more in thirty minutes from the time of the first alarm nothing remained of the building but four blackened and uncovered walls and a smouldering heap of wreckage 
some of which had once been human beings. It was only then that the firemen were able to enter the ruins, and there was virtually nothing for them to do. Of the 810 children who had taken in their books that morning, about 170 had perished, and with them died two teachers in the vain attempt to lead their charges to safety. The rear door also was broken down by the number of little ones who had been packed so closely against it that their combined weight caused the lock to give when it was too late. Practically all of the bodies were unrecognizable, and frenzied relatives were unconvinced of the losses in their homes until the roll had been called. The origin of this fire still remains unknown. It may have been due to defective flues, or to carelessness. But be that as it may, the results of this catastrophe carried mourning into hundreds of homes, and once again emphasized the pressing need of every known structural precaution in such buildings, plus better-considered planning of drills. It is a relief to turn from the recitation of such horrors to the narration of a brighter and happier story. In Raleigh, a small town in North Carolina, on Friday morning, February 14th of the present year, a fire broke out in an old wooden school building, which from its construction was a veritable fire trap. In spite of the fact that the halls and rooms were filled with smoke before the 350 children could be got into line, their order was unbroken and their courage unshaken, as they marched through the suffocating atmosphere to the doors and down the wet fire escapes. The principal of the school was notified of the danger by one of her subordinates. Quickly closing the doors in the upper hall, she gave the signal for the drill, which her pupils had often practiced. At the tap of the gong, every child fell into line, those downstairs going out of the front and main entrances, while those on the upper stories descended to the streets by the two fire escapes, which were wet and sticky from the snow that had fallen during the morning. All was as orderly as a stage rehearsal. Even the smallest tots followed the elder ones without the slightest confusion. There was no attempt to get hats or wraps or books. The whole operation occupied only three-quarters of a minute, which was better time than had ever before been made in practice. Parents who had rushed to the scene, dreading the terrible sights which might meet their eyes, saw an orderly procession of youngsters march out of the building, filled though it was with smoke and flames. Owing to the snow and the slippery condition of the streets, the fire department had been appreciably delayed in responding to the alarm, and had it not been that the fire chief had insisted on and enforced the precautions of a daily drill amongst the pupils, the loss of life might have been appalling. In the opinion of the writer, all concerned deserve the maximum of praise. The head of the fire department, Sherwood Brockwell, a graduate of the New York Fire College, for his insistence, the superintendent, for the intelligent way in which the children had evidently been trained, and the latter, for their coolness and their evident trust in their teachers, it is no exaggeration to say that the fire peril could be practically eliminated in schools were the example of Raleigh followed. At the same time, it is absolutely incomprehensible how sane persons, ignorant though they might be of the elementary principles of fire control, could allow so glaringly foolish an arrangement to be made 
as that which permitted the placing of a furnace immediately under the front stairs of a school building apart from these having been constructed of wood under any circumstances heating apparatus of that nature should be located in a separate structure adjacent to but isolated from the school itself should a fire occur during school hours the officer in command of the fire force can ascertain quickly from either the principal or the teachers the location of the fire which will govern his subsequent actions should it be in the upper floors the entrance must not be attempted by doors or stairways by which the children are leaving though use may of course be made of any unused stairway by means of a ladder raised to an upper window a line of hose can be brought quickly to bear on the blaze care being exercised to drive it back from the exits other lines as necessary will be placed similarly and the fire may thus be held in check until all the scholars are out of the danger zone then should the fire assume dangerous proportions it may be fought as in other buildings that is by stairways both front and rear and if necessary from both sides too much emphasis cannot be laid upon the necessity of preventing excited parents and others from rushing to the entrances by which the children are leaving the building breaking the line causing confusion and retarding the exit of those still within however good their intent their interference must work mischief it is imperative that the children be kept marching until all are safely out of danger officers in command should see that an adequate force of police and firemen are told off for this important duty the safety of the shopping public in the enormous department stores which have latterly sprung up in all american cities and for that matter in europe as well is in itself one of the most difficult problems which those interested can possibly face here there is no question of drilling regular habitues for the population is a floating one that is to say the attendants and employees may be trained until they are expert in the duties assigned to them but dealing with dispersal of great hordes of strangers is one that requires almost superhuman management and foresight in fact in the opinion of many it is impracticable drills are rendered difficult by the constant presence of strangers a test alarm may produce a panic when even those gifted with the maximum of human magnetism would find the control of strange crowds beyond their powers but at least precautions can be and are taken abroad as well as in the united states efforts have been made by private fire departments which should always be captained by retired officers of regular fire brigades and by the organization of all employees into a homogeneous unit of action in the event of crisis to grapple with the events likely to occur so far as circumstances will allow no human agency can do more the study of scientific fire control is of recent growth and many of the great emporia which dot the cities of the world are the result of evolution but as a rule when additions are made to such structures they are subjected to the most searching of fire tests and the writer can aver from personal experience in new york that neither time nor money has been spared to render the same as secure as is feasibly possible 
in addition it must be understood that under no circumstances can effective drills be carried out that is as though under emergency conditions unless the temper of the public changes in an amazing degree however it is always practicable to construct some sort of edifice even upon the most insecure of foundations and certain primary precautions though in no way adequate properly to control the situation may go a long way towards the prevention of a disastrous panic in brief all that has been written may be taken as supplying in embryonic form the basis of department store exit drill that is to say there should be capable floor masters capable guards and by private instruction the actions of all concerned should be regulated owing to the fact that many of the employees are women and girls men should be chosen to fill executive posts that some chance be given to their weaker colleagues to make their escape whatever occurs upon the first signal of the alarm each member of the staff should as in a factory drill clear all gangways of rubbish stock or obstructions they should then form in double lines along the aisles leading to the exits those not actively employed in the emergency organization should then form squads and in pairs women holding up their skirts march to the exit they have been previously instructed to use the elder women in all departments should be trained to lead these lines and incidentally their example is sure to have a steadying effect upon both their subordinates and their customers but the real problem is concentrated in how effectually to deal with the casual public who throng these buildings daily to so great an extent that it is estimated not less than ten thousand persons are sometimes on the premises at the same moment apart altogether from the private fire brigades maintained by these establishments apart altogether from fire escapes and the most modern fire precautions this constitutes the real peril which must be initially overcome it can only be accomplished by constant and painstaking training of every individual employee and by their example coupled with the exertions of aisle guards who will indicate to the flurried and hysterical how safety may be most easily reached at such a moment one cool floor-walker with his wits about him will potentially save more lives than the best equipped fire department which ever travelled the streets conquering a fire is one thing conquering a panic is another and whereas even after its inception prompt action may quell the former the latter belongs to the elemental side of human nature and as such is beyond the reach of science or apparatus as for structural safeguards the disposal of rubbish and other means towards fire control they have been dealt with elsewhere though the cardinal factor of human temperament can never be altered or modified by such external measures the knowledge of their presence tends to a certain degree to alleviate fear if the employees of a department store are faced with an enigma in dealing with their customers then most assuredly the staff of any hospital have every reason to fear fire and its accompanying risks here the problem is complicated by the absolute helplessness of the patients 
and the possibility that severe shock in some instances may result in death but on the other hand nurses attendants and doctors are all persons of superior intelligence and may be expected to carry out instructions not like automatons according to the letter but with due regard to prevailing conditions equally fire control in hospitals has for long absorbed the ingenuity of architects with the result that generally speaking they are well safeguarded at the same time however certain simple devices can easily be installed amongst the most valuable of which are fire brakes which acting automatically accomplish in corridors with flames precisely what watertight doors accomplish in ships with water in other words they delay the enemy and if unsuccessful in their passive defense they at least hold him in check long enough to ensure the adoption of precautionary measures for those concerned in simple language they may be described as iron drop doors which being operated cut off the area involved from the rest of the building further though properly speaking this is a structural safeguard the employment of fire towers is strongly to be recommended these consist of a covered staircase adjacent to but distinct from the main building and connected by iron gangways at each floor thus by closing the exit doors which are fireproof a completely isolated staircase is formed down which patients can be moved to safety without hurry or alarm incidentally these towers form admirable adjuncts to all classes of structures and public edifices habitually frequented by numbers of persons of both sexes and all ages it seems unnecessary to insist once more upon the careful disposal of all rubbish since such a precaution appears to belong to the obvious but the writer's experience has taught him that it is precisely the most ordinary safeguards which are habitually neglected finally the following recommendations may be accepted as applicable to all classes of buildings and if adopted promise a large measure of safety for the occupants a all stairways or a sufficient number of them should be located in fireproof shafts having no communication with the main structure except indirectly by way of an open-air balcony or vestibule on each floor hose connections attached to standpipes should be located on each floor in the stair towers available either for public or private fire department use b stairs if any inside the building and elevators should be enclosed in shafts of masonry and have fire doors at all floor communications c older buildings with inadequate fire escapes should be provided with automatic sprinklers or smoke-proof stair towers but outside fire escapes passing in front of or near windows should be discouraged d all factory buildings employing operators in the manufacture of inflammable goods should be fitted with automatic sprinklers and this system should likewise be extended to all classes of structures generally frequented by a considerable number of persons e large floor areas should be subdivided by fireproof partitions or brick walls 
the above are not counsels of perfection and are well within the reach of those having the safety of their fellow creatures at heart end of section 16 recording by maria casper